I did the first time I heard it before I put it out back in the 80s. 80s. Like the village people saying, ready for the 80s. I'm going to put these headphones on because it's now like Captain Freakout from the planet hot and tight. Let's get this going. Um, all right. So I skipped last week uh, for reasons that I'll explain briefly. Uh, let's see if I can get some headset sound here. Sound of some headsets. Sound of silence. It's not. It's not working. It's coming through the little tinny mic instead of my time life. There we go. Time life operator mic. All right. All right. So uh, let let's start because we got a lot of stuff. First of all, just to show you that uh, you can have an effect, and that primarily that you can have an effect, and two, secondarily, that I do. I'm educable and do listen. Somebody said like, well, why you have the fight poster up? Hey, hey. Hey, Mr. Robinson, why, like, for what you have the fight post up when the show is not necessarily about fighting anymore? Why, why you do that? 
I said, well, kid, you know, I mean, it's identified with the book I wrote, Fight uh, Everything You Ever Want to Know About Ass Kicking, but we're afraid you get your ass kicked for asking. Yeah, hey, hey, Mr. Robinson, ain't you write that book back in 2007? It's like old news, right? This is a new show about new things. Shouldn't you be doing new things? Well, kid, you, you know, you're making a lot of good points here. What, uh, you know, whatever. Well, the taxi driver thing, that's it. You could use that. I go, no, no, that's for the You Kill Me show. The, the 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 film review for reprobates that we do, you know. Um, um, hmm. Well, maybe you should just get. Maybe you got an Oxbow poster. I said, do have an Oxbow poster, but I don't have it here. Well, maybe you could. Ah, what do I got? I got Fifty Second Street. I'm going to use Fifty Second Street. This used to be like the jazz capital of the world, and since this show is more like jazz than anything else, you see Jimmy Condens right there, uh, on this side. These were like all famous jazz clubs, 50 seconds, Jimmy Ryan's. I used to actually go to the street and hang out and, and listen to people play. Um, so that's what we got this week. And next week, maybe we'll have an Oxbow poster. We'll let y'all vote. You can vote on the posters. So I'm going to have to, uh, uh, um, I'm going to have to excuse, you're going to have to excuse my, my uh, uh, I'm hoarse. I got, I got a frog, I, I got a frog in my throat, but I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to malign the French. Ah, okay. So uh, I had I had uh, had 13 songs to sing for a side project yesterday. The band is tentatively called uh, Empty People, and uh, it is uh, it is neo hardcore. And uh, I, and I sang 13 songs, sang them in a row after training for two hours and running for an hour, and then I drove to the city in San Francisco, and I sang these 13 songs for these guys. And I, I said one thing after I finished recording, it was one of the cooler things. I mean, because I still have hardcore in my heart. Now I like it. And if you guys don't know the style of music I'm talking about, but, and this ties into the show, but uh, I'm a purist in that regard. So the hardcore, like I, I love punk rock. I like new wave. I love hardcore, but very specifically any hardcore, there's very few hardcore, very few types of people making hardcore after 1984 that I gave a shit about. I admittedly napped on Youth of Today because to me, they were just some kids from Connecticut. I don't give a fuck about them. Even though uh, uh, Ray Capo, who's gone on to form Shelter, another band, was a, a purple belt in jujitsu way back when I was still a, a fucking white belt. I imagine he's a black belt now that I'm a brown belt. Um, he, uh, uh, he and I talked about music and I, I was a late comer, like Converge is a, a version of Neo, uh, hardcore. I didn't know anything about those guys. Jake Bannon, it was a, a, a MMA ref as well as a kickboxer himself as a singer. He started doing music when he was 14. Um, so he's been doing a long time, but I just wasn't clued into new England. So my point is specifically that, um, that I like, uh, 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 uh old hardcore. So this was this was neo hardcore, which is hardcore made now with it as a tribute then, but it could only really effectively be sung in my mind by somebody who was around back then, in other words me. But after doing 13 of these songs in a row, I said this is something you guys really need to consider. I'm glad to sing on your record. I'm glad to guest on it. Um but do you do realize an actual fact that playing these songs live is going to murder you? Going to murder you. So we've done it already. Hmm. Well, the drummer cat, man, he's a young guy, pretty in good shape. You know, uh, the guitar player, I, I, or maybe he's a bass player. I, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm just saying, bro, this is, this is really heavy music, and it's really fucking fast. 
and nobody in this room is 18 anymore. So yeah, we know, we know. I said, I did it because it was a challenge. I had to sit down halfway through because I got dizzy. Now, I don't know how many of you guys know you're hardcore, but there's a song by Black Flag called Rise Above. Uh, and the song goes something along the lines, you know, jealous cowards, uh, that, rise above, rise above. They distort what we say, rise above, we're going to rise above. Try to stop what we do, rise above, we're going to rise above. When they can't do it themselves, rise above, we're going to rise above. We are tired of your abuse. Try and stop us, and it's no use. Da -da 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 -da. Okay? Everybody who sings that song, if you've sung it from the audience side, uh, you know, stage diving, you're in the pit, whatever, most of the time you're like getting, they distort what we say. And then you like, you know, you thrash a bit and you get a couple of risers. To actually sing that song, every single word in that song is fucking exhausting. And you can't say that about most types of music. I don't know guys who leave the stage after playing a madrigal and going, man, that was exhausting. So it was a challenge. And forget about touring. Touring. My voice is thrashed from one session. I did each song maybe two or three times. So that's 13 times. So what is that? 26. Uh, 30, so that's about 40 times. Still, that's three sets. That's three. What? You get a tour, three shows? No. I'm just saying the past is a weird indicator, not necessarily of future. Wouldn't you say a man's attitude determines to a great deal how his life is going to turn out? One of my favorite lines from Mulholland Falls. You might say that. So. I'm at a party. Uh, 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 I'm at a party on Friday night, and um, what's interesting to me about this is is um, well, it's interesting for me to go to party situations and watch. Like there's a great line from Dirty Harry where they're doing the stakeout and they're kind of getting diverted by watching couples, you know, kind of uh, not sitting in cars or cruising and and. Uh, uh, Dirty Harry's partner is looking at him and he goes, watch, just watching the kids kind of walk along holding hands. He goes, boys and girls, girls and boys. So if you, we all think that parties are magical, mystical arenas of happenstance. You know, you're, you'll, people will say, what did you do this week? And said, oh, I met, went to this party Friday and I met all kinds of, uh, kinds of, you know, wacky. I just, like, like this was completely shocking. Social networking is not shocking, you know, presume unless you unless we can duplicate the way it was in 1978, 79 in New York, where I would go to the East Village and start walking around and people would have basement, uh, uh, basement, uh, first floor apart or basement of first floor apartments and they would have a party and the door was open and you you don't look gamey. You could just go in. I, I went to many parties. I didn't know anybody there. Now, that's real happenstance. I was also going to discos and new wave clubs, also happenstance. I didn't have a crowd. I didn't have a crew. Didn't need it. Didn't feel, you know, I've got that borderline autistic thing happening. I was okay rolling alone. I was armed, but I was okay rolling alone, right? I hope for the best plan for the worst. So everybody at this, anybody you know who's gone to a party Friday, Saturday, believes in the mystery of kismet. You won't believe what happened. I met this girl there. It was really phenomenal. I, I, I don't know, man. I, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's, let's start with the fact that most people go to parties today. They have at least one point of social contact, right? Uh, one point, and uh, um, and 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 that point, it has got degrees of separation that might include. Oh my, okay. Let's let's take how you know this person. The guy I knew 
who invited me to the party is a guy I've worked with. I've worked with him since 2007. We worked together at uh, uh, Future Publishing at MacLife Magazine. And then he also came to Ozzy to work. His name is Mark. And, but Mark also, in, in a strange twist, was a skateboard kid from San Francisco who had been to Whipping Boy shows. You see, we got the hardcore thing going. Whipping Boy shows was my old, my old band back in the day. So, so we, have one, we have a point of social contact that has m multiple tendrils, right? So um, I sit down. I sit down because uh, I'm tired. So I get a, I, my thing now is I go to a party, drink right away. Because I got to drive out of there. So two or three hours later when I leave, I'm okay. Get lubricated immediately. Not because I have to. I like to drink. Take a glass of wine. Sit down. I found a director's chair. Sit down. But there's food there. So I go over to the food table and some woman comes up to me, rushes over to me at the food table goes, my God, I love your outfit. It's just the same suit, sh suit shit that I always wear. But it's San Francisco party, 30-somethings. You know, people dress differently. T-shirts and so on. And I go, thank you. I'm trying. You know, I mean... Because at now I am in the scene. I am of the scene, but not in the scene. Like Jesus would say, I am in. I am in the world, but I'm not of the world, right? I'm the. I'm not looking to do the things that people look to do, even over their protestations when they go to a club Friday night. I'm not look. In other words, I'm very specifically not looking to get laid, and secondarily, I'm not looking for. A, a professional connection because this was a professional connection initially that got me. That was my inroads, a guy I worked with, friendly with, but a guy I worked with. So I'm not interested in professional advancement. I'm not interested in social sexual advancement. I'm just there watching people. So, you know, woman says, so you should like some outfit, great. I get some some food, some shit, some drink, go back and sit down. And um, I'm tired. But then what happens is because I'm a stationary point, People start to, and this has happened my whole life, they gravitate to this, this center, right? So, oh, you're sitting there like you're a director, like you're going to direct a movie. I said, I am directing a movie. And I said, are you? I said, well, right now, the movie of this living room, that's what we're directing. And so right away, you start to talk, talk to a guy. He said, oh, I'm a photographer, filmmaker. Are you a filmmaker, photographer? Well, I'm doing 50-50. Guy starts talking. We start talking about his movie. In about 17 seconds, I ascertained that he's, I, he smells like money. Smells like money. You can't be in San Francisco now and not know whether it's film or photography because you got a $4,000 nut of a rent to pay. So you're pretty fucking sure what you're doing to get that money. There's no, well, I want to do that. I want to do that. That's the San Francisco long gone. That's San Francisco 20 years ago. But I'm watching. So I'm watching, I'm watching these couples. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up in a bit. I'm sorry. This is taking a while. Uh, but then I hear, I hear these women talk and, uh, and, uh, say, oh, he's a sexist, racist asshole. I don't know how you keep giving this guy the money. And I start laughing and I say, who, who are you talking about? And one woman turns around and I go, oh shit, it's a woman I do jujitsu with. Right. And, uh, and I go, hey, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, I forgot. Okay. So she is in the art world as well and knows this guy who I know from work. She knows him from acting class. So there's this thing. And, and she's talking to some other woman. Um, and the woman says, well, I used to wrestle and I want to try jujitsu. And I went with her to your jujitsu place. And, uh, and, you know, I just, uh, I, you know, I'm going to, I was going to go live, leave a negative Yelp review. I go, 
I go, no, no, don't do that. You know, she goes, well, you know, he's, I'm sure he was making jokes. It's supposed to be funny. It was, this wasn't really funny. Um, and she meets me. I don't remember her name. You shake hands and she hugs me, kisses me, which is a strange first time meeting, but okay. So I go to Sorrel right away and I say, oh, yo, you know, man, you can't, you're trying to run a business here, a business I need to keep going for another five years. That's how long it's going to take me to get the black belt. You got to, you got to keep, you got to stay. He's, ah, I didn't, you know, and he's thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And he came back the next day, which is today. And he goes, you know what? And this is the anatomy, the anatomy of an accusation. It's really interesting because commonly now in the age of Me Too, any protestation is viewed on as a natural outcropping of piece of shititude, right? And he said, he doesn't do this. He goes, I'm going to tell you, tell you what happened. And, and he, he, he breaks it down and he said, okay, there's some young guys here, you know, she's a very sexy woman and, you know, they got kind of bent out of shape and I, I steered them back. I wanted them to focus on training and I wanted her to be treated like anybody else. You know, I didn't make any jokes. I didn't make anything. I'm explaining to you what happened that day. And he said, I don't think the, the expectation was the the level of attention that she desired was one that she got. So she's internalized the complaints of the other woman and made manifest these complaints in her explanation to you um, in order to do a couple of things. One, to get sympathy from you for what end we don't know. Uh, and then, and then, and then, and then primarily to, to maybe get you to talk to me, who knows? But, you know, I am running a business and, uh, I, you know, I'm popping off that way if it's a room full of people who understand my sense of humor. But otherwise, so this is Sorrell's explanation accepted by me. I, I, I didn't even care. I don't know how to find this woman. I don't, you know, it's not my job to, I'm not going to do the divorced kid thing. I'm not running interference between these two people. So, but then I'm sitting there for the rest of the party and I'm watching the boys and girls and girls and boys. And I find it really interesting, the approaches, because, uh, the, one of the, the main people who was there, they a long time couple have broken up, get back together. And I go, it's just so funny that we, we the men and women have the same, you know, uh, what is the thing from Merchant of Venice, you know, uh, you know, hath not a Jew eyes. I mean, we got the same parts going, man. We got the same parts going, but, you know, biologically there's stuff happening in, in, in my body biogenetically that's just not happening in my daughter's bodies and, and consequently there's stuff happening in their bodies you know my wives my my wife my daughters you know their first that's just not happening in, in my body and i'll give you an example you know you get th this couple very specifically has been together a long time dude is in his body thinking man this is i'm you know this is this is cool this is a great relationship you know this is i mean i love this woman i i'm in you know um, and he, he hasn't realized that he is now segued into permanent rental mode a le with a, a leasing option, right? Now, I don't know, now I'm postulating. I don't know if this is in their specific instance. I don't know if this is the case, but, um, he doesn't know what's wrong with his relationship. At this point now, April rolls around, Facebook is full, and Instagram are full of people with invitations to weddings, getting engagements, or wedding, wedding. Okay, they're beyond childbearing years, so they're clearly not talking about um, uh, about uh, uh, childbearing, but you at least want to say from a, a point of strength 
and a position of 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 a solidity that um, we we as a married couple have made a principal decision not to have children instead of just living with your fucking boyfriend at the age of 50, right? That doesn't sound nice or interesting. And it sounds like a complication for the years to come. Dude gets sick. You can't go to the hospital to visit. You can't, you have no kind of collective rights of ownership. This is not, we're not talking about a social construct here of the, 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 the mechanics of uh, matrimony. We're talking about some biogenetic shit, right? Um, that, that causes... Uh, what is the thing? Um, uh, I don't want to use the word short-sightedness. Let's go. The, a, a male nearsightedness, a willingness to exist in a, in, in a kind of a permanent now, right? Whereas um, just maybe, again, biogenetically, the, the, the w- women seem to be thinking um, in, in terms of larger chunks of time. It completely makes sense. Women t- typically live longer not only live longer, live longer and healthier. Um, and unless there's a, a, a massive age difference, uh, um, they are going, their men are going to uh, uh, die, die first. So they, they need, they need the T's crossed and the I's dotted. All right. And this affects, the, it's a trickle down that affects the decisions that are made on these macro things, make micro decisions uh, 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 possible. Well, I've turned it around. I not turned it around, but I've also got, gone super micro. And I was telling uh, uh, my wife earlier tonight about dating this woman and uh, going into her apartment and understanding understanding the Carl Umregar theory of her apartment. If you go to ozzy.com, ozy.com, and type in Carl Umregar, U-M-R-I-G-A-R, uh, uh, heroin or uh, bank stabbing, uh, his, his my articles on him might come up, and the Carl Umbergar theory is uh, he Im- killed himself. I was gonna say he murdered himself, and the apartment that he had done so in, I've been to many a time, and I write about this. Um, he gave himself a heroin overdose. He didn't use heroin. He did the heroin specifically because he wanted to exit the planet and re-enter the gl- the, the, the the soup of consciousness. But his apartment, he had blacked out the windows. He put in black lights and red lights. He had a cat in there. It was like he was growing mushrooms. And after he killed himself, I remember going over to talk to his next door neighbors. He tried four times and finally was successful the fourth time. And that's a long story I don't want to get into now. You've heard it on older shows. But I remember going into the next door neighbor's apartment. And their apartment was identical copy. But these two gay guys, it was light and cheery and, and really nice really same apartment same building same doors same layout completely different fucking world all right so i went to this woman's house and it was the same thing i knew the carl umregar theory was in effect but what i saw in her apartment was her right and so and so you know macro building apartment, elevator, apartments, and then when you get inside, you're inside somebody's head. So I'm micro, you know, in the brief period of times that I've had dating, in other words, single and trying to achieve some sort of, you know, uh, 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 social sexual connection with somebody. These are things, again, the men existing in some sort of permanent now, just go, cool, you got a place, I got a place. I'm looking for, I'm, I'm, the devil is in the details. I'm looking for the devil. All right.
I'm looking for the devil. I'm looking for I'm, I'm, I'm looking for contingencies the way you do when you sign a contract to buy a house contingencies or any kind of contract things that could go wrong SWOT analysis you know <laughs> uh, strengths weaknesses opportunities threats analyzing it from top to bottom and somebody recently and he listens to the show asked me you know is there such a thing have i should i just embrace the fact that there will be no answers to my questions and i go listen you know the number of stars in the universe are knowable but unknown and you're going to be have to be okay fundamentally with this paradox of of knowable and unknown but in in regards to boys and girls girls and boys this is knowable and known we've taken a shoebox of possibilities and winnowed them down to a very few things it's no mystery so sitting in my director's chair as i was at this party watching people talk and shift in groups you know, as as now the titrate, the alcohol consumption and people kind of, you know, le- and it's either, you know, it's sex or professional. San Francisco's a sex professional advancement, watch people talk and, you know, and and I'm not there for any of that. So I, it's more a social uh, science experiment or what people call having a good time. It's a good conversation, good people. Leave, you know, no harm, no foul. Had a good time. Met a couple of interesting artists, photographers, this quasi filmmaker, and so on. Maybe a art school, a acting school to go back to. Whatever, fun time. But I start to I start to think about I start to think about I start to think about what attracts me, or what would attract one to um, to any any social gathering, if not driven by uh, uh, biosexual issues, right? I'm not there. My, my genes are large. They're driving the car. Let's admit at this point that the genes are driving the car. Okay. They're just, just, just admit that. Yeah. We, the, for example, I can take one CC of decadurablin, which is not very much of anything. I, I could drink that much of, of, uh, of Clorox and it probably won't kill me. I could drink that. I mean, one cc is not that very much, but it, it could have a massive difference in terms of my strength, size, and speed, and so on. Right? Small things. Small things. So let let let's 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 for example look at what attracts us to to these groupings. The subcultures I've been a part of: punk rock, new wave. Music, art, culture, hardcore. Hardcore was much more. I mean, you know, punk rock was kind of an art student thing. New wave was kind of an art student with a corporate kind of appeal thing. Hardcore had become a lifestyle. But I knew kids in my high school who were still glomming onto the '60s lifestyle and like Grateful Dead and wearing tie dye and trying to relive that hippie shit. Subcultures I've you know been part of. And what attracted me to the subculture in the, in, the, in the first place? We're coming up to the point now, for those of you keeping track. Well, the non-duplicative aspect of it. In other words, some shit I'm not going to find somewhere else. Populated with personalities that I won't find somewhere else. I'm on the train going back to Brooklyn. I don't know where. I think I was coming from, from uh, uh, training. Coming back, going back to Brooklyn, some guy looks at me across the train and like recognizes like. I wasn't wearing punk rock clothing. I was wearing an army jacket, 
Don't know. Guy came over and said, hey, what's going on? I said, I don't know, man. I'm just getting, heading on back to Brooklyn. It was Brooklyn, what do you do? I said, ah, you know, I just came from doing some martial arts thing or whatever. God, it's cool. I used to do that too. And he, he's like, hey, you want to hang out? And right away, you know, I make the guy for gay and I go, well, hang out. Where you, what are you talking about? Where you want to go? And he's like, well, what kind of music you listen to? I was like, man, I, I'm always at the CBs and he goes, ah, oh, shit. And so we start, we geek out, start geeking out on music. He goes, well, let's get out of here. Let's go, let's go over to Max's Kansas City. I go, man, I don't have any money. He goes, well, fuck that. Fuck that. We'll get in. No matter. Don't worry about it. I go, but that's not the issue. I don't have money to get back on the train. I got, I had fare to get on the train to get home. That's, he goes, I'll take care of it. So I was like, all right, I could take this guy. I don't have to worry about getting, you know, butt muggled. Don't have to worry about it. So I go out with this. We go out, hit Max's Kansas City. I think the Rattlers are playing. One of the Ramones' little brothers, a band that he was in. I remember Johnny Thunders being there. I remember it was a great Johnny Thunders from the New York Dolls. It's great. I said, well, first, I'm nervous about this money thing. He goes, watch this, watch this. And he starts stealing money off the bar. I go, Just people leave money in the bar. It's tips, but don't worry about it. Come on. He's taking the tips off the bar. So I got enough now to get the, the, the uh, subway home. And we're like talking to chicks. You know, of course, you know, punk rock just would have talked if you just look like a bridge and tunnel guy, which is what I look like. All right. I mean, this is this this guy was like a fucking cowboy, man. He was, you know, fucking throwing shit on stage, stealing bar. It was like a hellhead. This crazy. That's why I got into hardcore. That's why I got into hardcore. You know, I got into hardcore because I go out to Jersey Shore with some girls, and me and Paul Dordal used to be a, a roadie for Rush, but got into hardcore hard. And so the girls come up to us and go, oh, these guys fucking, these guidos slapped us and called us bitches. And we fucking chase these guidos all the way down the boardwalk to their friends. And they chase us all the way back. And then we get some guys, we chase them. These are, these are, these are, these are, you're, 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 you're bound to find, what is the word? Coruscating, just brilliant personalities. And like I mentioned on the, on the last show, or maybe it was on If I Did It, um, no, I, I was on Jim Gold's show called Group Hug. And I was talking about Frenchie. Uh, he's dead now, naturally. I go, I was at a party with Frenchie. Not only is Frenchie high on angel dust. Go, so mark that on your list. Angel dust high. Drunk. So he's drunk and high on angel dust. Shirtless, which is not a danger factor, but whatever. And he's got a live and, and running chainsaw that he is swirling around the room as he recreates a scene from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the thing is looping, looping. Outside? No. Inside an apartment, a squat apartment. I don't give a shit that it's a squat apartment. I give a shit that it's an apartment with a bed, and it's probably about 15 feet by 10 feet with a staggering, dusted-out French-Canadian guy named Frenchie swinging it around. That's why I got into the scene. Not for that kind of action necessarily, but because of the fucking personalities. Now, if you remember, for those cats who have said, where were you when 9-11? Where were you? If you remember, going back to, um, where, are we? where are we in time now? Going back to uh, UFC 1. 
some guys I used to do kind of Muay Thai with, some half. I mean, you got to remember one of the things that John uh, Pirelli and 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 the Gracies did when they when they went writ large with this Gracie chat, the sixty-five thousand dollar Gracie challenge. Well, if anybody could come into our schools anywhere, and if you beat a Gracie, you'll get sixty-five thousand dollars. And that's where they got all the early tapes from. All that, and the as well as the beach fights and so on. All of that shit. Um, all of that shit was to settle the barroom bet about, you know, who had the best mar- martial art, right? But before then, there wasn't all this codified, you know, if you knew a guy who took karate, he was probably going twice a week. When I took karate, I was going twice or three times a week, and my progress was just fine. I could do all the katas, and I went through the belts, and the, 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 got up to brown belt, and was before I switched to Muay Thai. But the obsessive lifestyle aspect of it, that the Gracies brought to it, it changed. That's a sideline, a digression. I'm talking about the UFC 1. So UFC 1 was an outcropping of this kind of pent-up urge that we had to kind of figure out which martial arts, you know, and so they would have little icons when the fighters would come up with it. It was boxing gloves versus all the kickboxing, all these different fight styles. And so... um, and there was another fight thing at the time. It was a tough man. We remember Butterbean, which is kind of more entertainment-y sports than sporty uh, event. But the, those of us who took time out from Muay Thai classes or whatever to watch the first one were electrified, excited. We didn't see the training possibilities. I have to tell you, these many years later, how 227 UFCs later, did not imagine that I, I, I'd be talking about it still or that I would be you know, uh, so deep into Brazilian jiu-jitsu that I'm a brown belt in that and I'm training six days a week, two hours every day. Never saw that coming. However, it, it, it happened. And it attracted... It attracted the personalities that the same sort of personalities that drove me into 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 um, the various subcultures I've been in. And what it takes to be part of a subculture is a complete and total unwillingness to even try to conform to the rest of what's going on. You don't know what it was like. I'll give you an example. After Whipping Boy's first tour of the U.S., so now we're talking 80, 81, 82, I went back to New York for that summer. It was New York hardcore. They were open me with welcome arms. And I realized at one point that I hadn't been home for three or four days. So if you typically don't go home for three or four days, where have you been? Well, I remember sleeping at Agnostic Front's uh, practice space back when John Watson was the singer. And I think Rabies was on drums. Those of you not into New York hardcore, this won't make any sense to you. And then I also remember having nothing but milk for three of those days. And I remember this woman who used to work for the Pope. East Village Pope was one of the first guys to go to go dominoes with weed. And he had a saying, and you can look this up. I think he's dead now, but you can look it up. It was a thing. He was doing home delivery of weed and didn't give a shit. He found some loophole in New York law. And his saying was, the Pope smokes the dope, the Pope smokes. And he ran this thing called the Church of Realized Fantasy. 
right? You have to have a court order to open mail, you know, or I think to stop occurring. You just can't fucking legal search and seizure. So he was delivering his woman is like telling me, and I can't tell whether she's flirting with me or what. I remember I've been awake for three, awake or sleeping fitfully for three days on the streets. And she goes, you know, you know, he'll give you anything you want. I said, well, I'm starving right now and I'm dying of thirst. It's hot. And, you know, I'm wearing engineer boots and a leather jacket in the middle of summer in New York City. Hardcore days. No shirt on underneath, but whatever. I said, you know, could the Pope get me some fucking orange juice? Because I'd love some orange juice right about now. And she goes, you wait. And she disappears. I figure she's got to fucking fucking off going to the Pope, whatever. Comes back, got some orange juice. I go, whoa. She goes, I told you, the Pope, this is a church of realized fantasies, whatever you want. Well, orange juice was not a fantasy. It was a desire. But I appreciate Hey, wait a minute. Did you just buy this from that grocery store? Because I didn't buy anything. I go, oh, you stole it. And she goes, the Pope provides for those who provide for themselves. So these were great personalities. Every, I could go down. I got like 30 more stories like this. And it made it worthwhile to be there. Because these were people who had given up. You know, the scene had provided them an avenue to do what they were going to do anyway, which is essentially fuck the whole program. And I have friends from that scene. There's a friend of mine uh, 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 in Jersey. I don't know if she wants her name mentioned. She has never, as far as I know, have never known a significant period of unemployment. And you know what her job is? She's a metal worker. <laughs> Like the chicken flash dance. Yeah, she's a metal worker. I mean, you wouldn't think, and she actually went to college for it. You see, I got this shit on my face. What is it? Um, went to college for it. You wouldn't think, if you told your parents, I'm going to go to college, college, for, uh, college for Greek pottery, be like, get the fuck out. You got to stay employed. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a metal worker. Get the fuck out. Never a moment of unemployment. Found a place in the scene. It's the only place that would have you. But that's a wrong way to think about it. It was the only place you wanted to be. Because there were no boundaries or borders put on your behavior. Similarly, the early UFC. Before the UFC came, I was taking karate. Before the UFC came, I had taken karate for oh, seven years. And that doesn't count the karate I took, the Shotokan I took when I was a kid. If those of you who haven't read the fight book, Fighter, everything you ever want to know about asking, but afraid you get your ass kicked for asking on HarperCollins, still available. Yeah, my birthday is coming up August 28th. I said I was going to have a sale next show. Uh, you guys have to go to patreon.com slash the stomper, T-H-E-S-T-O-M-P-E-R, where you can bid on a signed copy. I got three, three signed copies of the book. And I'll fucking personalize it and write a bunch of shit that nobody else has in their book for you. But I'm only going to do it, you know, if you want to, you can get the book, you can get the book for fuck, used for fucking $6, whatever. The ones I have are not that. And they're signed. So bid. Now you got I got to go to the post office. If you're overseas, that's like $30 for shipping right there. This is not cheap. But you determine, I mean, you guys are making it. I'm going to give it to the person who gives the most amount of money. So that's how you do it. But in any case, that's not the point. That's not where I'm going with this, the sales pitch thing. So in the book, I talk about, I started with uh, uh, 10 years old, bo 
lifting weights at nine, getting beaten up by a judo guy at nine, uh, at 10, started taking karate at on Fenimore Street at the church, Shotokan, saw Enter the Dragon around the same time, which just fueled it. Did that for a couple years. I also started boxing at the boys club simultaneous to that. Got to high school at 14, joined the wrestling team for a quick minute before my mother kicked me off the team. She didn't, I think she didn't. It was too blue collar for her and or homoerotic. She was always worried about me because <laughs> I haven't had any of those markers of traditional masculinity. Like, you know, I was never particularly worried about gay people. As sissies. I had a lot of friends who were gay even when I was small. I didn't care. Whatever. My friend. And of course, I was weightlifted, so I had bodybuilder pictures all over the wall. She's like, why do you have those pictures up on your wall? Come on, this guy's got great muscles. It's good. Yeah, but do you like it? Yes, I love it. It's a great sport. <laughs> so she, she was happy with me swimming, didn't want me wrestling. So I swam. I was a good good kid. Then I took uh, Charles Charlie Nelson up on 72nd Street, took uh, uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu from him, self-defense. And then karate after college. Then Muay Thai. Then combat wrestling. Then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, but the community, the community of all these obsessives was crazy. And the cats who decide who made the big show were also crazy. These were guys who came from uh, uh, distinctly different disciplines with dreams. Guys with dreams. With this distinctly different kind of reasons why that they, and these were vibrant personalities. And this, if you remember, Jeff Blatnick was a host, uh, was one of the hosts. And when you first start seeing the bald one in there, that that was you had every single. You didn't have to. You didn't need. You didn't need fighter development. You didn't need fighter development because these guys were personalities in and of themselves. And I could go down the names and these are names that are not familiar to you, but the, their Q rating where they have Q rating was incredibly high, higher than the average fighter today. And these were personalities that were significant enough to have had movies made about them. I'm thinking of Mark Kerr. Don't you probably you're under 30. You have no idea who the fuck I'm talking. Smashing machine it was a movie about Mark Kerr. Um, all of the, I can name off a, a handful. You can say, well, Eugene, of course, your history is written by the victors. You just remember the guys who won and stuck around and sort of, but that, but but these were bona fide personalities. Don Fry. Why do you think Don Fry has made his most significant chunk of money since leaving professional fighting from the fucking movies? Because that guy's face radiate, radiates fucking character. This is not a guy that you don't have to, I mean, this is where the bald one comes from. You didn't have to put a nickel into marketing these guys. You put their fucking faces on a poster or, 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 or you know, uh, record them. You don't have, if you're walking down the street and you see one of those uh, stores that sell appliances and the TVs are like Best Buy and the TVs are going, and you see, you stop. Mark Kerr, you stop. Tank Abbott, you stop. This is not an old guy getting nostalgic. This is an accurate rendering of what we have. Every because these guys were you hear them talk about pioneers. These were pioneers. These weren't guys who were, yeah, you know, I don't want to get a gig as an assistant wrestling coach. Maybe I'll try this thing. I can get on TV if you make a few bucks. I don't, I don't know. 
These guys were, I mean, Tank Abbott, he was talking about Tito Ortiz. Tito was living on the on the beach, uh, like a Huntington Beach, stealing shit from Tank's car. Tank was in and out of jail, beating people up at parties and shit. The it's like it's like when a fashion designer designs clothing. If you see that, you know you look at. Tom, I like Tom Ford, right? I used to like Hugo Boss because the whole. <laughs> if it was good enough, <laughs> that fucking SS, it was good enough for me. That old Nazi connection to do. No, I just like the lines on Hugo Boss, but whatever. Got out of that. Got into more Tom Ford. Clean, clean lines. And you look at Tom Ford shit. Or let's, let's forget about. Let's go to women designers. And this shit is just some, sometimes this is great. Like Liz Claiborne is great. This just pops off the page. Vera, Vera Wang or whatever. Yeah, hey, I read W Magazine. What of it? And you see that shit. Okay, so that shit comes out of their heads. And then they get a creative team and they take ads of it. So I'm going to take my vision and I'm going to take dollars $18,000 of a photo shoot. And I'm going to make manifest how I see this. And it's great. It's great. Because it, if you if you look at Michael uh, Antonioni, like blow up, like all that shit became like the template for how they did clothing and fashion commercials. This kind of modern ennui, it, it's aspirational. It gives you wealth and, and, you know, European locales and sexuality, all just kind of this melange all mixed up beautifully. And then they have the fashion shows where you can see these impossibly, you know, statuesque, just kind of otherworldly archetypical proto human you know uh uber humans kind of dread and you go, great man and they put them in department stores and they're duplicating this experience in department stores you go by uh, nordstrom's or back bergdorf goodman's in new york tiffany's and you see they've actually taken the vision from this person's head and they've made it manifest in the store and you fucking you could walk in and the I got to get a piece of that. I got to get a piece of that dream, that lux. I got to get my hands knuckled deep in that thing. And you take it and you get it home and you put that shit on and you go out in the street because you have forgotten that you are a middle management, fucking middle class wage slave who's 40 fucking pounds overweight and whose shoes are run over at the heel. We're apes. That ape has got a colored ribbon wrapped around its head. Cool. I want a colored ribbon wrapped around its head because then I'll be like the ape that's got the colored ribbon wrapped around its head. Fancy. I used to call it the theory of degradation in fashion, which is much like Albert Speer's, you know, theories of ruin, except it's the other way. Buildings, he said, buildings in decline should look as good as when they were originally uh, constructed. Of course, the Nazis fell off deeply when it came to it. If you go to the Nuremberg parade grounds, you could see it was all brick with marble fronting. It's all a sham. But this is the other way, theory of degradation in fashion, where it starts out like, you know, the, the world of platonic ideas, truth, beauty, goodness. And then it ends up on the back of some fucking person who will never, ever, the closest they'll get is sliding their credit card across the counter and spending money they don't have on clothing that will not imbue their life with any significance at all. How many generations did that take from the head to somebody some uh, some pathetic dreamer on the other end. Well, that's where we are with the UFC. With the UFC. Very specifically right there. 
where the bald one was initially attracted and paying attention to what felt like primal, completely, totally necessary shit. Elemental, primal, two men enter, or if this is before women got involved, and one person leaves. And one person leave, most often left unconscious. We saw teeth knocked out. You know, we, we saw guys get arms broken. We saw this was it, as real as it got. And the personalities that were attracted to that, it's like now they're trying to do a humane type of, of bullfighting that doesn't involve murdering the bull at the end. But in a lot of ways, it's a lot more crucial. And the other thing, because the guy can't kill the bull, he's just in there trying to avoid getting killed by the bull. And bullfighting might get more interesting. <laughs> so this is what the Baldwin was attracted to. This is what the guy who was the cardio kickboxing instructor who was training uh, the Fertitas, this is what he was excited about. He was talking philosophy. They were talking cash. It came together and it became sport. Fine. That's fine. Olympics are sport. And they tell the same story. The intro, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. We're talking about big ticket fucking items. Big ones. But <laughs> the hardcore that was made in 1988-89 was much less interesting to me. I love the descendants. But the crimes of the descendants are significant. And it's not of their own doing. It's a world of unintended consequences. They, everybody was screaming about their parents and about the cops and so on. And uh, the descendants came out with a fun record. They were going to turn dining back into eating. I like food. Food tastes good. I like food. Food tastes good. Or Kabuki Girl. East is East. West is best. Chinese girls are the best. They got more of what I'm looking for. Yeah. And he was like, do you know what I think about you? Essentially, they were pop tunes. Blink-182 picked up, and all these other bands picked up, and it became this bad religion switch. Everybody who built Epitaph, and so it, it, Fat Records, it's become this kind of eighth generation removed. Not guys who are stealing tips off of bars. Not guys who are living on squats, high on angel dust and drunk, swirling around the room with a chainsaw. But guys with careerist notions about the music they make. People ask me what I thought about the Deftones. I was like, well, they seem like nice guys. And the guy laughed because I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their music. And I said, music? They, they, they make music? I'm not criticizing. Whatever. God love them. I'm glad they, they, they make music that people seem to like and buy. It's not my point. I was never attracted to the artifact. I was always attracted to the art. And I'm going to have to say I see a bit of myself in the Baldwin in that regard. Because we're wondering why, as we sit in the back seat of the sport that we enjoy, looking forward to the front seat, that there's nobody with the hands and the steering wheel. Well, you know what else there's not? You look to the left of you, you look to the right of you, and the Baldwin's not even in the car. You know why he's not in the car? Because, because the same reason I generally, unless a friend of mine is in a band, like I'll go see Agnostic Front play, 
negative approach were to come around, I would see them play. That's about it. Why I'm not going to hardcore shows anymore. Because it was people who weren't there wanting to be in a place they, they've never been. And these people are much less interesting. The hippies who I grew up with were much more interesting than the kids of those hippies who I went to high school with who were still wearing tie-dye and smoking pot in the park and going to see the, the Grateful Dead when they came through at the Beacon Theater or wherever they played in the city. It's a theory of degradation of fashion. The idea as it emerges from Liz Claiborne's head is much more vital than where it ends up on the back of somebody who's just pathetically trying to cling to some small portion of a dream. I'm not talking down, I'm not talking down the end product consumer. They are the ones who are paying full price and are keeping these people in business and are funding the dream. But they're funding a dream that they don't own. And so here we are watching fighters um, who, who are the functional equivalent of, of, you know, the slightly 40 pound overweight, uh, you know, a, uh, a 40 pound overweight consumer of high end fashion who has no high and no end. Spiders sitting around waiting for something magical to happen. Don Fryer is fighting in hotel lobbies. Getting his ass kicked at hotel lobbies. Lee Murray was kicking uh, Tito Ortiz's face in bar fights. When I wrote for Fightland, which was a, a, a UFC-sponsored vertical for Vice, they very specifically every piece that I turned in that made some mention of of a uh, uh, like Harley's or uh, Harley Flanagan from Chromax and Jamie Stewart from Juju both had uh, uh, street fight stories in their story that I wrote about them. And they want to kill a piece. And I said, finally, why are you wanting to kill this piece? He goes, we don't want to talk about street fighting. Yeah, they were starting to do some window dressing about the UFC. They did not want to. These guys are not thugs. Most of them are college graduates because they come through wrestling programs. Da, da, da. We, they want to use the brand differentiator between them and boxing. But with that, with that normalizing, with that mainstream mediaizing of the UFC and mixed martial arts, you had a change, a sea change of the personalities and the people that were attracted. And they became those people. People came through wrestling programs, which are fundamentally decent people, good colleges, and figured, well, this way I'm looking at being an assistant wrestling coach for some high school. I'm not going to the Olympics. Maybe I could put this. This would be fun. I'll be on TV. I could. And you actually had people, you know, Matt, Matt uh, uh, Hughes, you know, cr crafted really serviceable existences and had some all shucks appeal. He was one of the transitional guys. You know, he was he was one of the, the, the ready for ready for primetime faces. You know, he had that good old old boy country hokum story and people sort of loved him. Wasn't like living in on the Huntington Beach, getting arrested and running from the cops and punching people in the face. But that's led by, again, art and artifact. That's led to some artless endeavors, significantly artless endeavors. So if you're sitting around, like I said, man, are we going to talk about this? Are we going to talk about the fact that I've completely fallen out of love with the UFC? I go, stay tuned for the show stomp. We're going we're to talk about it. Because what we're responding to, it, we're, got, we're now people at parties with no biosexual interest in being at the party. We haven't come for professional advancement, and we haven't come to get laid. And the personalities and the people that are in our party now are end product consumers of a, 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 a dream that they won't participate in. 
It's like a guy telling you a joke sixthand and massacring it. And we're sitting there with a half smile on our face and we're listening and we're trying to, <laughs> and, and there's no punchline. We are the punchline. So, I mean, fundamentally, is it okay to have fallen out of love with the oofsie? Um, sort of. But you understand that the, the oofsie was just representative. If I thought about it too long, I would find myself distressed. Distressed about what, Eugene? Distressed about the fact that, you know, the, the subcultures that I've been participating that had, like the Jack Kerouac talked about, you know, those who are mad to live, like flaming roundwood candles blazing across the America, the, the night sky. I mean, if, if, if that's what we're attracted to. When I spoke on a couple of shows ago about Morrison coming in packages now, things you can buy through the mail and feel wild and different versus being wild and different. If we are subculturalists, does that mean that we have, that we are shogun and we're just want, ronin? I'm sorry, we're just wandering the landscape without a master? Kind of. That's kind of exactly what it means. But we were, it's like the Groucho Marx Club. We were never meant to be in any club, really. Except we found ourselves together, like me on the subway train with that cat. It was like, let's fucking blow the scene. Let's go break, get, bum rush the door at Max's Kansas City, steal shit off the bar. Let's have a great time. Which led to parties with guys on angel dust and with chains uh, and drunk and chain scars in the robe, which led to 30 fucking stories of people that were a million times more interesting than the people I went to Stanford with. Years hence, Frenchie is dead. And some of the people I went to Stanford with are thriving and doing quite well. I still would rather spend the night with those, spend the evening, a dinner, a party with guys like Frenchie than anybody, a guy I went to Stanford with, with the exception of my close friends. So you can imagine the Baldwin suddenly being populated by, by you know, uh, uh, kids who come out of JUCO and have some sort of dream and generally are not, again, we're not attracted to the artifact, man. From the Baldwin's perspective, he created the artifact. You know, the art, he, ca he considered himself friends with guys like Chuck Liddell. And he and Randy never really got along, but friends. He was afraid of Tank Abbott. Because Tank Abbott remembers him when he has ha had hair. But now he's a boss, man. Guys are calling him sir. These are not peers. These are grocery clerks. And it's not the fault. It's not the fault of the fighter. It is absolutely not the fault of the fighter. It's not the fault of the end product consumer, that 40-pound overweight middle management office office assistant person who spends a good portion of it trying to buy a, a bit of that dream because they're just going to look like the, the model in the ad. Saw a woman standing on the street last night with her kid. She's got a baby and like a, a six-year-old. And she didn't seem particularly happy. I don't know her story. She could have been very happy. She could have been a multimillionaire. But what do you do when the dream misses you? That's what we're asking ourselves. But the, the reality of it is, um, you know, after, after punk rock kind of died, and it was, I, I mean, for me, subculture w went this way. Disco, punk rock, new wave, hardcore. And pretty much 
hardcore, post-punk, alternative culture weirdness, industrial culture, fighting, underground fighting. So I, I, I've been managing to, to ride the surf of subcultures straight from 1977, where I started going to discos as fi- a 15-year-old, to now. But I do recognize that there's a paucity of, of wild, vibrant, let's call them naturals. And if you did a study of the early oopsies, you could probably peg when the last of that generation died off. When the corporatist model took hold. And the bald one has no respect for these. The bald one, in a lot of ways, is very similar to Trump. You look at Trump who, Trump, who Trump respects, not many, and look at why. And same with the bald one. Why would he want to come back? It's like somebody is periodically, they'll ask us to do a whipping boy reunion. Why would I want to sing songs about cops that I wrote when I was 18? Why? Why? Why would I want to hang out with end product consumers? I want to hang out with Liz Claiborne. I don't want to hang out with the people who buy Liz Claiborne. How do you make how do you make how do you make a sporting endeavor uh, dangerous and crazy again? Football is a very different endeavor. It's dangerous on the face of it, but with the speed and the contact, it's always been a kind of a, a, a symphony of chaos. It's got, it's, got, it's got too much stuff going on to focus on any single element, and that's the key to its success. But fighting is fighting. That's the artifact. The art and the artist, not many. So when you see people respond like they do to John, Johnny Bonigione talking about his end of 2018 reentry, 2019 uh, uh, return, you're looking at an, an artist and his art, and that's why he's worth watching. And you see people try to get excited about guys who are all well and good, a Dustin Poirier, good fighter, solid guy, not somebody you're going home with. His artifact is end producty. It's not connected to a dream. So I I hate to I hate to I hate to lay it down like I've got some sort of sympathy. For a guy who's buying $60,000 swords or million-dollar birthday parties for a 16-year-old kid or tipping waitresses $1,000, but he's bored because he's, he's bored because it's boring. So, no, no, Eugene, no, this last fight wasn't too bad. I go, yeah, okay, compared to what? Compared to UFC 221, yeah, probably. UFC 219, yeah, probably. But unless you were there, UFC 1 through fucking 50, you have no idea. And you hate to sound like old guys, but old guys do what they do for a reason. Don King of today or Bob Aram of today or Bob and Don on autopilot. They don't give a fuck. They don't care, man. A lot of parts in boxing. Boxing, uh, I mean, lots of parts of football. Football commissioner, man, that guy's got his hands full. People standing up and say, you kneel, you kneel, you're going to get fined. All right, how about this? How about a fist in the air? How about I sit? You didn't say anything about sitting. 
How about I stay and I don't put my hand over my heart? You just opened yourself up. You fell in bed with the wrong fucking guys. Let those guys do whatever the fuck they want. They say, oh, well, you know, it's this kind of shit that's causing people to stay away. No, it's what you've done to the players that's causing black folks to stay away. I guess you don't, don't go to places like Bossip or Blavity. Pro-Trump guys are going to the games just to see those boys put in their place. It's not happening. So some might say we're getting end product kind of ethos because we're in the end times. I don't know anything about that. But what I'm doing is what I like. What I'm doing is focused on making that next jump to, to a jetty that I find populated with personalities that do not give a fuck. Why? Because I'm there. Like somebody once said about me, I can't tell whether Eugene really doesn't give a fuck or he's just acting like he doesn't give a fuck. You know, at a certain point, whether you're crazy, really, or just acting like you're crazy, doesn't make a difference. But I didn't come up caring about the same shit that you guys care about. I'm talking about these corporatist, mainstream media, middle class kids who toe the fucking line. To get paid quick, they got to suck a fat dick. Not that there's anything wrong with sucking a dick, but that's a line from a song. My point is, you know what? I'm always going to take the wild side. Always. Is the Baldwin semi-responsible for not having... Give, how, could, how could you create that? It's lightning in a bottle. You cannot recreate that thing. When people would walk into Gracie school, the first time half Gracie set eyes on me, and said any word to me at all. It was like, what do you want? Why? Because people would walk in and challenge them constantly. I said, I wanted a schedule for the kids' class. It's like, oh, oh, sorry. They won't come again, but another day will come, and I plan to be there. How did I get to those other days before? Like recognizes like. So I'm not particularly worried. I'm not particularly, I was in, in bodybuilding when body, bodybuilders were fucking outlaws, putting diapers on and crapping in their diapers so they didn't have to leave their squats, living in their cars, going over to Tijuana, buying fucking trunk loads of steroids, crazy times. I was there for the basement fighting era of MMA, fucking smokers in basements. And I'll be there for the next one. Why? Because everything else that smells of end product consumerism stinks to me like garbage. And that new fresh stuff, stuff out of the heads of geniuses, that stuff to me, it, it, it's, it's like I see a light over the hills and I'm, I gravitate to it. I know it's warm. I know it's hot and I know it's a place to be. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I consider myself lucky to have been around from UFC 1 to UFC 70 or whatever, wherever the drop-off point was. And I'm still here because I recognize that there are a few artists who, or who, who, who must be paid attention to. And I'm training jiu-jitsu and I'll be, I'll be here for the long ride. Long ride. But, you know, it was part like the, the Tom Jode said in Grapes of Rad. Next time there's a guy high on angel dust, drunk with a chainsaw, I'll be there. Next time there's a guy wearing a diaper so he doesn't have to leave the squat rack when he's doing squats, I'll be there. 
next time there's somebody that we don't even like you hear charlie murphy talk about studio 54 if you want a real rendering of what those disco times are about whatever that next one is i'll be there you should endeavor to do the same do not succumb to end product consumerism it's a sad place to be and the bald one is not there Anybody with any interest in that initial fucking burst, that Jim Morrison shit that they put in packages, is never going to stay. We're here, kind of. I mean, that's what all of you were saying on the Twitter feed, at Eugene S. Robinson is a Twitter thing. Mr. Sleep 3 is the Instagram thing. But that's what you're saying. Like, I don't even know who's fighting. I don't even fucking, I, I watch a fight if it's interesting. You tell me to watch a fight, I'll watch a fight, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all here provisionally because we know. We know, but I want to keep that edge. I want it to stay sharp. I want like a, a, a the, I have a straight razor and I use a leather strop. I couldn't believe it. It actually worked. It fucking works. It's now my razor sharp as shit just by rubbing it against leather. Keep your razor sharp. Your ability to see through the end product consumerism and get you into a place where you're not, again, you're not going for the biosexual. That's the shit, the limited shit in the box. You're going for the big ticket items the heat and light created by that kind of really raw, ragged, new Roman candle across the night sky type stuff. That's what you got to be there for. And I'm not saying this is a road there, but the facility, the faculty to recognize it is what you got to hold on to. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. The show's over. This is V29, the Eugene S. Robinson show stomper. Uh, uh, um, Patreon.com slash the stomper. If you want to pay for it, we'll be back Tuesday night at 7.20 uh, uh, West Coast time for uh, If I Did It. It's with me, Kid Nate, and Alexi. And then we come back for right immediately after that show for If the Shoes Fit. So one is PR kerfuffles in the world of MMA. And the second part of the show, second half of the show immediately after is PR kerfuffles in the outside world and how we would solve them. And then if there's a fight next weekend, which I believe there is, on Wednesday, we typically do the Care, Don't Care preview. So you got your MMA commentary week uh, packed out, fully planned. Um, and uh, whenever the wife <laughs> gets her shit together, we're, we're three movies down, and we haven't done You Kill Me in a while. But I'm not going to, you know, she's not in my band. I can't demand that she do this show. She's, she's going to come home from training. She also just won gold medals, double gold medals at the uh, National uh, 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 Pole Dance Championship in Los Angeles at the El Portal Theater. Killed. Killed. She's on her way to being a, a professional, actually making money doing this. So uh, it was uh, astounding. I mean, this is an eight-person eight field, deep field. And you go, oh, pole dancing because you can't separate from a stripper origins. Whatever, man. Whatever. I got on that pole, almost ripped my shoulder out of the sock. It goes, I'm out. I used to swing around poles when I was a kid, parking in Brooklyn. It's different swinging around a pole when you're 80 pounds versus swinging around a pole when you're 215. Fuck that. Tough sport. Tough sport. And there's some guys in there who look like to be fighters, actually. You know, fighters, former gymnasts, they're like, fuck it. Nobody's punching me in the face. I get to hang out with hot chicks. Cool. I'm in. I got no competition here. So anyway, that's the breakdown. Um, I'm going to put the books up on patreon.com slash the stomper. If you're interested in getting the autograph thing, but you got to be willing to bid with people against, you know, do whatever you got to do. Anyway, the show's up. I've, I've, I've blabbed though like 12 minutes too long. Uh, I'm sorry about that. 
uh, for my verbosity. We will see you uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then next weekend. And then if you subscribe to this channel, uh, it'll let you know automatically when we do the You Kill Me film reviews, uh, Kasha and Eugene's film reviews for Reprobates. Until then, well, you know, look what you made me do! Ah!